Good morning, church. This morning, God's Word scripture reading is coming out of the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 34 to 38. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accept from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what had happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and now he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the evil. Because God was with him. This is God's word. You may see it. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for the great contrast that you bring by your presence, your very presence, into your world, the world that you made. <clears throat> you help us to break the cycles of meanness and violence in our life, to break the cycles of anti-neighborliness, around our homes, the cycles of maliciousness that we witness around us, the cycles of neglect and of disdain and indifference of creatures and creation. You, our God and our Father, are the single fountain of newness. You bring streams of mercy and grace into our lives. You are the giver of an abundant life. And you are the changer of human beings. And this is our prayer this morning. That you will change us, transform us, revolutionize us, reform us, and renovate us. To reflect better your image in this world. And as we study this morning, help us to hear with ears and read and see with eyes that are eager for your word and for your presence. This, Father, we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. We begin a new series this morning. And uh, by way of introduction, uh, many of you know the TV show, This Is Us. It is a show about a family that is like no other family that you'll find anywhere else on TV. And the story revolves around these triplets. Uh, on the day that the triplets are born, there's one that dies. Uh, the father is convinced that he is supposed to leave the hospital with three babies. And there is a, a young, abandoned, orphaned uh, black child that is left at the hospital. They decide, he and his wife decide to, uh, to adopt this child. 
And so they, they have these three children, all born on the same day. And they are Kevin and Kate and Randall. And they form the big three. And the story behind This Is Us is how they become a family. And how as a family they, go, they grow up and they go out into the world and how they live their lives with each other and how they live their lives with other people and how they go about their work and how they go about their day in, according to the, to the will and the teaching and the guidance of their parents. And it's a, a story that sometimes there's, there's happy endings, a lot of times not so much. It's the story of how they do life through the good and the bad times, the ups and downs. And as you can see from the slide, the tagline for the show is this, family is forever. Our church is a forever family. I don't know how you think about us. I don't know how you think about uh, our part in it together. We use the word family a lot. But we are a forever family. That is unlike any other family you'll find in the world. I mean, where in the world do you find a group of people as diverse as ours that lives, that truly lives and endeavors to live and gives energy and intellect to live as a family except in the church? And so what we're going to do today is to begin a new series, and it'll be for the next several weeks, and we're going to look at some of the aspects of what it means for us to be us. That this is us. This is who we are, and this is what we do. And so this morning we begin with how we as individual disciples of Jesus and as a church family, we make it better. We make it better. And so we're going to see this morning a call to heed, an example to follow, and a challenge to meet. Now, one of my favorite verses when it comes to the call to discipleship, a call that each of us needs to hear, is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It's up here on the screen. Let's read it together. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That last phrase, let's say it again. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. You know, one of the funny things about the early Christians is that they never called their own religion Christianity. You look in places like Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 22, they referred to it as the way. What they did do was refer to each other as disciples. They were disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. 269 times in the New Testament, the word disciple shows up. Three times the word Christian but always in reference to the disciples. The simplest definition that I can give you of a disciple of Jesus, the, the, the simplest I can think of is this up here on the screen. It's living like Jesus in every area of your life. That's what it means to walk as Jesus walked. You live like Jesus in every single area of your life. One of the most prolific writers of discipleship in our era, in our generation, is a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard. He wrote a trilogy. Um, he wrote more than three books, but there's a trilogy that deals specifically with what happens to you when you decide that you want to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And in the middle book of this trilogy called The Divine Conspiracy, he talks about this gospel of sin management, which means that 
the gospel for a lot of people is just and merely the forgiveness of sin. And so he says, the gospel of sin management says that you can have faith in Christ that brings forgiveness. While in every other respect, your life is no different from that of others who have no faith at all. I call that a completely unheroic faith in Jesus. An unheroic, feeble Christianity. The Bible calls us who say that we belong to Jesus, that He is ours and we are His, to walk His way of life. That's what that walk means. That we adopt His way of life in everything that we do. Which brings us now to that example. The example that He gives us to follow. Our text that Moises read this morning gives us one of the dominant images of Jesus that you find in the New Testament. Read it again, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He's talking to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, up in Caesarea Maritima in Acts chapter 10. You know the story. Uh, Peter is brought by, by um, uh, after receiving a vision of, of the Gentiles being uh, declared clean and and. Peter being sent to preach the gospel is explaining to Cornelius and his household who the Christ is. And one of the dominant images, he says, is and how he, the Christ, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is what it meant for the kingdom of God, who is love, to come into the world in the life of Jesus. One of the ways to describe the life of Jesus is that he went throughout Galilee and South Judah and Samaria and up into the Decapolis. And wherever he was directed, wherever he went in the world, he went into the world doing good to all those around him. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first one in Mark chapter 1 gives us a little bit of insight into the day, uh, 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 one day in the life of Jesus. At the beginning of the day, it's Shabbat. It's the Sabbath. It's Saturday in North Galilee. It's in Capernaum. Everyone is gathering in that synagogue on the north end of town. And Jesus goes in and he begins to teach. And he teaches with such authority, and he teaches for at least a, 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 a large amount of time for people to just be stunned and grateful and amazed for the words that he says to them. And while they're talking about, wow, this guy can really teach, and I feel so blessed to be here, here comes a guy inside of that synagogue who is possessed possessed by, the, by a demon. And he identifies Jesus as the Son of God. And Jesus pulls the demon out of that man and restores that man to his right mind and to his rightful wholesomeness. Well, everybody is just amazed. And the word begins to spread about who Jesus is and what he can do. Well, the day doesn't end right there because Peter says, Hey, why don't you come over to my house? And Peter and Andrew, James and John go to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is upstairs and she's sick. And Peter's a little bit concerned. He loves his mother-in-law. And so Jesus goes up and heals her. And she is immediately able 
with this complete healing to get up and to make food for them. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law made a great chicken salad. And she goes down and she fixes food for all of them. And then at the end of the day, Mark's gospel tells us, when the sun had set and Shavat, Sabbath was over, the whole town, the whole town shows up with those that are sick and those that are demon-possessed. And guess what he does? He, he spends the entire night, not saying, you know what, I got, I got five more minutes of this or ten more minutes of this. He spent the entire night healing the sick and driving out the demons. And it was very public what it was that he did. Sometimes it wasn't very public at all. Over in John chapter 2, second example. Jesus is at a wedding feast in Cana in Galilee. He helps a young couple who, because of the, the social expectations of that time, that the feast would go on for a certain amount of time, there would be plenty of food, there would be plenty of wine, but this family, probably very poor, has committed a social blunder. They have run out of wine. And everyone is beginning to get a little bit nervous. And Mary goes up to Jesus. It's kind of convenient to have the Son of God as a son. And she goes up to him and says, you know what the issue is, right? They've run out of wine. Is there something you can do? And, and Jesus makes water turn into wine in such a way that it blesses this young couple, keeps the feast going, and nobody really sees it except the disciples that John tells us put their faith in him. Sometimes it's public, sometimes it's behind the scenes, and sometimes it's not always miraculous. There's that story in John 4 where Jesus, you know the story at the end of John 3, Jesus is baptizing disciples, John the Baptist, uh, Baptist and his disciples are, are baptizing people. And all of a sudden, everybody is starting to move over towards Jesus and his disciples, and they're being baptized by him. Well, it, there's a little bit of a revival going on, and John the Baptist's disciples are a little bit jealous. And they, they say, uh, we're a little bit concerned that everybody's going over there. Why don't you do something that brings them back over here? And there's the famous speech where John the Baptist, in a moment of beauty, says... You know how it is. The bride is supposed to go with the bridegroom. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. And my joy is when the bride and the groom get together. He has got to get bigger, and I've got to become less. And it's about this time that Jesus is beginning to realize this great success when he decides it's time to go up north, and his disciples are incredulous. Why in the world are you going, leaving this place and going up there? It's a little bit dangerous up there in Galilee for you. And Jesus says, I'm going, come with me, suit yourself. And they look at each other and go, this doesn't make sense at all. All the popularity is happening right here. We'll go with him. We decide to go with him. They come to this place in Samaria where there's a well near the village of Sychar. And Jesus sits down next to the well. The disciples decide it's time to go into Sychar, into the village, to get some food. They take off, and here comes this woman down the path, and she's got water buckets. And Jesus, as she comes up to the well and begins to get the water, says, Excuse me, would you mind if I had a little bit of your water? I'm thirsty. And she's shocked. Because why would a man and a Jew talk to her, a woman and a Samaritan? 
And on top of that, we find out the reason why she's there in the middle of the day rather than early in the morning or in the cool of the evening to get the water. She's not welcome. She's not welcome. And every day she picks up those water buckets that are a reminder of who she is in the eyes of everyone in that village. And she goes in the middle of the heat of the day to this well to get the water. Now here is this man saying, could I have a drink of water? And she says, well, I suppose so, but you don't really have anything to, uh, to, to get the water. And he goes, well, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for water. She said, really? He goes, yes. I will give you a kind of water that when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. She thinks, wow, if I don't have to come back to this well and be confronted with who I am on a daily basis, that sounds pretty great. So she says to him, well, I'll take some of that water. And they begin this conversation that leads to her religious question. And she goes, well, we Samaritans say that we worship here on Mount Gerizim, and you Jews say over there on Mount Zion, there in Jerusalem, which is it? He goes, you're right. That is the basic question, the worship of God, connecting to God. A day is coming when it will be in spirit and truth. And she says, uh, I think you're a prophet. He goes, uh, you might be right. And she says, when the Messiah comes, when this Messiah comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus says, I who am speaking to you am he. And she goes running off back to Sychar just as those disciples are coming back. And they're so concerned with, you know, why are you talking to this woman? And, but they come back from the village with food, with sandwiches. When she comes back, she brings the whole village. And the whole village is, is, is given the opportunity to meet the Messiah. It's not always a big deal. Sometimes making it better in somebody's life, sometimes it's public, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not a big deal. But one of the things that you see happening in Jesus' life as you read the Gospels is that wherever he went as, as the kingdom of God Messiah, he made the situations or attempted to make the circumstances better with everyone he became in contact with. Sometimes it's not a big deal. One day, I'm in the HEB, and uh, I'm next in line, and there is uh, a woman in front of me, and uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to take a while. Look at all those coupons. And not only that, there were a couple of uh, debates that she was having with the cashier about the real price that she actually saw up on the shelf. And the next thing you know, there's a lot of people in line, and she, it just things are being delayed and delayed and delayed as she's going over every item, and people in the back are beginning to tap their feet. And the cashier is beginning to notice this big line, and this woman is not very happy with her, and she's beginning to get nervous. She's beginning to get a little bit upset because, you know, people, people she, she wants peace. And finally, after about 20 minutes, uh, the lady gets all of her stuff in the bag and takes off. I'm next up. I've got a couple of things. And she starts apologizing to everybody. She says, you know, uh, I'm really sorry that you had to wait. Uh, thank you for your patience. 
And uh, again, I'm sorry that you had, had to wait. And I said, it's the H-E-B, nobody dies. I said, you're going to be all right. Don't worry about it. It's the H-E-B, it's grocery shopping, nobody's supposed to die. And at that point, tear formed on her cheek. Sometimes you find yourself in these moments. Sometimes they're public, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're a big deal, sometimes they're not. But as a disciple of Jesus, when they say, hey, thank you for your patience, you don't say, well, you should have opened up another line. You don't make it worse. One day Jesus calls his disciples together and he begins to teach them and he says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are not only salt, but the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is teaching there is that his disciples make a difference. Wherever they go, in whatever circumstance. And he says, you're like salt and light. Have you ever said, you know, been around salt that decided not to be salt? I mean, salt doesn't do that. It's salt by its very nature. And salt isn't salt only when it thinks about it. And salt isn't just salt when it's convenient to be salt. And it's not just salt when salt is having a good day. It's salt all the time. And when it's not salt all the time, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. The thing we need to remember is that the purpose of our good deeds is to bring, that the nature of our good deeds is to bring attention to God. And disciples make it better by doing good wherever they are in a way that calls attention to God. That should be a working part of our identity, of what it means to be us. That we are the ones who make it better on a personal level, an individual level, a situational level. You guys see a kid sitting by themselves in the school cafeteria. You do good, like Jesus, and you go and sit with them. It's just who you are. You see someone at work struggling, you do good like Jesus, and you encourage and you help. You know what? Jesus is not in the business of watching people fail, and neither are his disciples. Never be afraid to do good in the manner of Jesus. You make it your mindset. If someone is struggling with their their job at your workplace, are we to complain about them? Or are we to help them succeed? If you see someone sitting by themselves, and obviously it's loneliness, do we walk by or do we ask to sit down beside them? The big one for me, traffic is backed up, it's rush hour and it's 410, people are tired. I'm tired. They're not at their best, I'm not at my best. They're going to be rude. So do we speed up and raise the tension on an already tense road, or do we roll down the window and wave them in? Sometimes it's public. Sometimes it's a big deal. 
and sometimes it's not. There are people who say that they follow, that they follow God and that they belong to God, but they don't always get this. Jesus one day had to ask people who said that they belong to God, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To, good, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He had to ask them that. If you follow God, are you going to kill or do good? Save life or do evil? Which brings us very quickly to a challenge to meet and we'll be done. This is a lifestyle. This is a mindset. Let me give you five things to write down to consider begin doing today to build this mindset and this identity and this habit and this practice of making it better wherever you go and with whomever you meet. Number one, private prayer. Begin praying today as soon as we're done and you're going to lunch. Pray, help me make it better wherever I go today by doing good like the Lord. Secondly, restaurant prayer. It's a, a, a practice that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, I do this with several people, but uh, Everett Heist and I, about once a month, get together for lunch. We go over to Papatos. In all the years that we've been doing that, we always, as we pray over our food, the waiter or waitress comes over and we say, hey, listen, we're about to pray for our food, and we just want you to know that we'd be willing to pray for you, anything you might be facing, you having a good day, a bad day, anything we might do. Never once has somebody said, don't pray for me. I don't want any of that. Don't you bless me. I don't want the blessing of God. Nobody has ever said that. What they've said is, you know what? Nobody has ever asked me that. I could use some prayer. And then guess what happens? About 10 minutes later, they come back and they go, you know what? I really appreciated that. Here's some other things that you can pray about. And then about 10 minutes later, they say, here's the check. I want you to know how much that meant to me. All in an effort to kind of open the door for the kingdom of God to come into the life of another. Find the difficult person, number three. In Luke chapter 6, it's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good. Do good to those who hate you. Single out that one person who is difficult in your life. It doesn't have to be the entire office. It doesn't have to be the entire classroom. It doesn't have to be the entire neighborhood. One person who makes it difficult for you and focus on doing good to that person. Number three, join in. Volunteer where you can make a difference. It might be getting involved on the first and second floor of our learning center by teaching kids to understand who Jesus is and love him. Or it might be getting involved with Oak Grove and helping little kids who are struggling with reading to get a little bit of extra time and a little bit of extra focus and learn how to read better and all of that, the way that it affects their education and their future. Talk to Bob more about helping out with the care cottage. People who come there often are, are struggling to make ends meet. And we, we, we give them, free of charge, two weeks' worth of food, clothing, for them that, that are struggling, for those that are struggling making ends meet. Talk to Bob more about that. And then the last thing, put a care bag in your, in your car right there beside you. They're out here in the foyer. They're little blue little bags. They've got water and some proteins and, and snacks and food that doesn't perish very quickly. And when you find somebody on the side of the road that is needing a little bit of help, you make it better. 
You make it better by giving them something to eat and something to drink. Well, you know, they, they might, you know, they're not working. They don't deserve it. They may use it. They may, you know, do something with it that's not, you know, something we'd want them to do. You know, if I remember the teaching of Jesus, Jesus correctly, he said, God makes his rain come on the good and the bad and his sun to shine on the just and the unjust which means that every person in this room at one point or another has misused the resources that God has given them. Yet God continues, even though we are not perfect with our resources, he continues to bless us with resources. And when we give that to a person, we're reflecting the image of God into that person's life as well as making it better for them. There's a, there's a story that I'll end with Landon Saunders tells this story of, of a sister in Arizona some years ago who was up for a promotion. There was another person in the office that was up for the promotion as well. One was a sister in Christ, the other was not. And as the interviews took place within the office, the office politics got kind of fired up, and the, and the person who was not a believer began to undermine the sister and her reputation and her work ethic and these kinds of things in every chance she had. And our sister in Christ knew that this was going on. Knew that it was going on. And lo and behold, when the decision was made, it was the other woman, not our sister in Christ, who got the promotion and the job. Our sister in Christ congratulated her, sent her some flowers, and said, if there's anything that I can do, just a short little note, let me know. woman picked up the flowers, went over to our sister's desk and set them down and just started staring at her. True story. And then she began to cry. And our sister in Christ got up from her desk, went around, put her arm around this other lady and said, they're there, it's okay. And in the next conversation that they had, invited this woman who had beat her out on the promotion to her house to meet her family. And they had a meal. And she noticed something different about this family and noticed how they uh, conducted themselves with each other and, and their, their worldview and all of these kinds of things that happens when you spiral into somebody's life. And she finally asked one day, what is it, what is it that is at kind of the core of makes you who you are? And she and her husband were able to share with this woman a gospel. And now there are two sisters in that office in Arizona working together. We, we have to have church, brothers and friends. As disciples of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps, and where he made it better, we make it better. And how he made it better, we make it better. And it goes into the, just our mindset and the way that we, we go into this world that every opportunity is to do good to the glory of God. This morning, we're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. Maybe you need some help with, some, with prayers of the church on your behalf to strengthen you in something that's going on at school or at work or in your family, some relationship or, or at the office or, or in the neighborhood. Whatever those needs might be, it may be that today you want it to be met, made better for you by having your sins forgiven through baptism, receiving that spirit that God promises in order to be empowered to live the kind of life that makes it better wherever they go. 
whatever it might be, if that describes you, come down to the front and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. In a world of sorrow, bring your life again. Guide us as we follow, teach us as we pray. Give us strength tomorrow to return in praise. Light for our tomorrow, God who comes to save. Jesus, hope of heaven for us. Your life was given, healer of our brokenness. God who comes to save, wrapped in human weakness, to our world you came, carry 